Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides, and alongside me is my co-host, Josh Molina. Josh, how you doing? I'm super hyped. It's the debut of Luke Rockhold and Scott Smith in Strikeforce, two of my favorite fighters of all time. I'm and so one of excited. them you're related to because he's your twin, right? So Yeah, well, you know, he's not aging as well as I am, but, you know, <laughs> I'll still let him hang with me. There you go. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about Luke Rockhold and, and Scott Smith. Scott Smith's got the uh, the finish of the night on this card, so I'm, I'm excited to get to that as well. Uh, but let's, uh, let's just let them welcome the listeners. Thank you for joining us inside the hexagons about the, 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 the very innovative and important MMA promotion strike force. We walked through the major events, fighters and milestones of that promotion. Very, very, uh, very, just very innovative MMA promotion that exists from 2006 to 2013. So if you haven't listened before, welcome. Uh, but on today's episode, we're going to be coming Strike Force Destruction, which featured, as Josh mentioned, Luke Rockhold and Scott Smith. Uh, Luke, it's actually not his debut. It's his debut on a main Strike Force card. He has fought, or at this point, he had fought on a Challenger Series event. But since we don't cover those, this is really his debut where we're covering one of his fights. And then, yes, Scott Smith, this is his first one. There's other fighters we also see uh of name that we also see for the first time inside a strike force cage but let's talk about our previous event episode payback let's talk about the fallout from that as we discussed we really thought we we really view payback as another kind of one-off strike force event several competitors on that card only made one appearance inside the hexagon including frank trigg and michelle watterson Uh, and then in the main event Dwayne bang ludwig avenged a previous loss to sammy morgan sending him into retirement and a quick plug if you haven't already make sure you check out my interview with frank trigg which ran last week super super interesting guy one of the best talkers in mma and he's got his hands in, in a lot of pies as i like to say a lot of irons in the fire Definitely worth a listen. So if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to that. But let's jump to Strike Force Destruction. It was announced on October 10th, 2008, and it was going. It was scheduled to take place on November 21st. Uh, the main event was set to be the long-awaited title match between Strike Force Light Heavyweight Champion Bobby Southworth and surgically repaired superstar Hinato Babalu Sobral. As the press release put it, that kind of made me laugh a little bit. I hadn't seen that that phrase before, but that you know, surgically repaired superstar. But all right. Uh, he had been uh, out. He'd actually missed a, a fight with Strike Force and had to have surgery, so that's where that comes in. But uh, these two had been scheduled to fight at the second Strike Force Playboy Mansion show, but both fighters were injured, and that changed those plans. In the co-main event, it was expected to be Josh Thompson uh, finally making the first defense of his Strike Force lightweight title. Uh, it was not revealed who the opponent was going to be. I did see a story where Chris Horadecki, uh, who at one point was a really, I think he's Canadian if I remember correctly, but a really rising lightweight uh, fighter, was he was mentioned as a potential opponent in a separate story, but this would not end up ha- happening. Eventually, it was set to be UFC vet Eve Edwards, uh, and that he was going to be the title challenger, which would actually be a rematch of a previous UFC event where Edwards had knocked out Josh Thompson with a flying kick. Uh, Josh, I think you I think we've discussed that fight a little bit before, uh, but uh, Thompson would end up tearing ligaments in his toe. So he had to pull out of the bout. So we would not see that rematch. Uh, instead, Edwards would take on Dwayne Bang Ludwig, who would be making a quick return after his victory at Payback. In fact, Ludwig was taking this fight on only two weeks' notice, uh, so that's a pretty big, pretty big-time fighter in Eve Edwards to take on on only two weeks' notice. But uh, Ludwig decided that he was going to do that. Also announced on the card would be Joe Diesel Riggs returning to welterweight, this time against Luke Stewart. In addition, Kim Stewart, or Kim Stewart, <laughs> Kim Couture, the then wife of Randy the Natural Couture, was added to the event in a main card bout, along with a very intriguing bout that had fireworks written all over it. It was going to feature Hands of Steel Scott Smith, who would be making his Strike Force debut against Dangerous Terry Martin. And this would be a bout that would feature two dudes that could really throw hands. So pretty, pretty solid card. This was shaping up to be from the very, very beginning. All right, as we like to do on the show, we like to let you know what was going on in the UFC at this time. UFC champions, there is one change since our the last Strike Force event. BJ Penn was the lightweight champion. GSP still the undisputed welterweight champion, as was Anderson Silva in the middleweight division. Forrest Griffin still the UFC light heavyweight champion. But we did have a change in the heavyweight division as Brock Lesnar. I've always wanted to do that. Uh, was the new undisputed <laughs> UFC heavyweight you champion. <laughs> You need to drag out the Lesnar part. Yeah, I know, but it just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lesnar! 
Yeah. I'm definitely not Paul Heyman for, well, for many, many reasons, but that's one of them is I can't do that as well as him. Uh, but he was the new, newly undisputed UFC heavyweight champion after smashing Randy, the natural couture. Uh, so let's talk about, but we're going to talk about that event right now, actually, because that was the closest major event, uh, major UFC event that took place uh, in relation to this Strikeforce event that we're covering. UFC 91 took place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada on November 15th, 2008, just six days before Strikeforce destruction. And what a massive event this was. Over 14,000 in attendance, although as we like to say, Wikipedia always 100 spot on. Said that uh, for almost four, over four thousand of those tickets were giveaways. They, they, I didn't, I don't understand that because such a huge, huge event. Why would they have to give away tickets? But uh, whatever the reason, that was what Wikipedia says. But a gate of four point eight million dollars, and just to give some perspective, I was like, man, how, how, like, how would that compare if they're doing four point eight million dollars? You know, coming up on thirteen years ago. Well, at this point, just over 12 years ago, uh, you know, this is what are they doing now? And so I looked at and obviously they're not doing anything right now because there's no crowd. So there's no gates. But I decided to go back to 2019. But if you look at some of the major events from 2019, 4.8, it's not the highest, but it definitely would rank amongst the highest gates that they had in 2019. So. You know, when people want to complain about Brock Lesnar and the opportunities that he, you know, gets, I mean, even this, this was only his third UFC fight and he's in, you know, he's getting a heavyweight title shot and people question that, or, you know, why does Vince keep bringing him back and all that, the guy draws, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line is the guy draws, he draws fans, he draws money. And if you look at the rest of this card, this was a one fight card. I mean, no, no disrespect to any of their fighters, but from a marketing perspective, this was a, a one match event and uh, you know, boy, did it deliver. Uh, so I went back and I watched the Lesnar couture fight and it was a lot more competitive than I remembered. I, I, I thought that, that Lesnar just, just buzzed right through him, but couture really held his own in, in the first, uh, you know, with that kind of quote unquote old man strength. And uh, he, I mean, for, by being outweighed by a good 50 pounds and who knows what Lesnar was actually weighing when he was actually in the cage, you know, after cutting weight to get to 265. So, I mean, he, he was, Couture was massively outweighed here, and, and yet he was still able to hold his own. He actually cut Lesnar around the eye in, in the second round, and but then he got clipped in one of Lesnar's, you know, one of his ham hocks uh, behind the ear, and, and that was the beginning of the end. A huge fight, huge win for Lesnar, and, and just, you know, obviously just massive for, for Brock Lesnar. Was that the same ham hock he used to drop Bob Hawley on his head during that uh, inf- infamous power bomb gone yeah. wrong? <laughs> well, he was definitely involved in that. <laughs> um, you know, as much as I love Brock Lesnar and pro wrestling, I, I just never felt as though Brock Lesnar deserved a title shot at this point in time. He had so few fights, you know, he wasn't, wasn't even undefeated. He, you know, he had, I think, one fight outside of the UFC and then went into the UFC and uh, he was fighting for the heavyweight championship. And I just felt like that was sort of a, um, I don't know, kind of a selling out by the UFC to do that. And he's going up there against Randy Couture, who's not a natural heavyweight. So I sort of feel like as a, from a purist perspective, and you know, we know the MMA or UFC's heavyweight division has pretty much been, you know, weak. Um, you know, not and it was sh- weak, and it was weak at this time, by the way. That, yeah, and, and there's some people. Sorry to cut you off, but there's some people that think at that time they think that that's why Brock got the shot because there it, there were there was not a plethora of contenders in the heavyweight division. So why not bump up this guy who's drawn like crazy? Go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you put him in there and he beats one of the the best of all time and he becomes champion. I will say, though, that if you're going to disregard whether he legitimately deserved a shot or not, like you were saying, from a promotional perspective, UFC owes so much of its success to the WWE. And I I know a lot of the keyboard warriors who you know, love the UFC and, you know, don't like pro wrestling because it's scripted, they will not understand that. But, you know, the Ultimate Fire, it, sorry, the Ultimate Fighter followed Monday Night Raw. It gave them this huge lead in audience and it it blended the two worlds. And then, of course, you had the Griffin Bonner incredible, incredible fight. And so it was able to capitalize on that 
pro wrestling audience. If we just had MMA fans, we would not be talking about the UFC and Strike Force. It was the pro wrestling fans that propelled it into the mainstream. And then, of course, after that, it took Dana White to continue to build those stars. It took Scott Coker and Strike Force. But this was a classic example was Dana White taking this WWE star, putting him in the octagon. And obviously, Brock was a incredible amateur wrestler so he knew his stuff and so it wasn't as though he was just you know like a cm punk kind of guy with a big ego he knew how to compete so it was just really good promotion smart brock is a freak there's no one else like him on the planet you can't duplicate him and uh he's the ultimate heel like everybody wants to see him lose. Yeah, and... they were booing him after he, he won, and he was being very respectful. I mean, I don't know how you'd be disrespectful of Randy Couture, but he was very respectful of Randy and really, really, you know, I don't say pouring it on, but he was very respectful of Randy, and the crowd was still booing him. So, yeah, everybody <laughs> loves to hate him. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, from a promotional perspective, you could argue he did better with Brock than uh, Vince did, Vince McMahon did, you know, at least, you know, in terms of getting – Brock to draw so much attention. If we could go back to 2008, it's like mainstream newspapers are covering the UFC because the Brock Lesnar guy is on the show. Yeah. Which know. was a big deal at that time because yeah. they weren't getting that kind of attention. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, from a promotional perspective, he absolutely deserved it. From a competitive perspective, you'd say no, but but he beat him. He beat Randy. So, but I, I will say, and then we'll, we'll move on, but this is one of those things where, look, you know, you have GSP come back and beat Bisping for the middleweight title. He saw an opportunity. He knew he was better than than Bisping and better than almost everybody. So he saw an opportunity there. You know, Randy not being a, a natural heavyweight, there was an opportunity there for Brock. And I'm not saying Brock saw that and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, maybe, maybe that was Dana's idea. I, you know, I don't know. Whoever put that match together had to see. Well, this is, you know, this is an opportunity because Brock can definitely beat him. He's just so much bigger. We've seen this over and over in MMA and, and, you know, it's just, it all comes down to making dollars. That's what it it all comes down to. And, and they did. So you can't really argue with it. Uh, I will say also on the card, the immortal Matt Brown submitted Ryan Thomas, future UFC lightweight champion, Rafael Dos Anjos made his octagon debut, losing to fellow current UFC fighter, Jeremy Stevens by third round KO. Damian Maya submitted Nate Quarry and Kenny Florian submitted Joe, Joe Daddy Stevenson. I mean, out of those names I just mentioned, you got one, two, three, four guys that are still competing with the UFC coming up on 13 years later. So, you know, for all those that say it's hard to stick around with the UFC and guys get, you know, get dropped out, man, you need to talk to Brown and Dos Anjos and Stevens and Maya and learn their secret, which is, you know, put on good fights and, and they'll keep bringing you back for the most part. So, but yeah. All right, no uh, Challengers event near this one, so we're going to get into the event itself. Uh, Strike Force de Destruction took place on November 21st, 2008 at the HP Pavilion in San Jose, California. It would draw 8,152 fans for a gate of $321,520. Again, we've had this discussion before, but Strike Force, from a monetary perspective, uh, was just not a competitor to the UFC at this point, eight, you know, from, I mean, look at that $320,000 for this gate versus 4.8 million. Uh, it's just, it's not even close. So, uh, but the event would be broadcast on HD net with Kenny Rice and boss Rutten back on commentary duties. Jimmy Lennon jr. Would handle ring announcing while Ron Kruk would conduct fighter interviews. And it's worth noting as we go through this, there were a few bouts that took place after the main, uh, after the main event, the main card had a lot of finishes on it. Uh, so they were essentially swing bouts. Uh, but since so we don't we don't tend to go in order of how the bouts actually went, we go essentially in order of importance. Uh, so we're we're gonna place those event or those fights. We're gonna cover them as part of the undercard, if that makes sense. All right, kicking us off, 185-pound fight. Kurt Osiander defeated Josh Neal via TKO, coming by way of punches at 216 of the first round. In the next fight, another 185-pound fight. Eric Lawson defeated Tony Johnson via submission, coming by way of rear naked choke at 128 of the first round. I did uh, see a, a fan cam video of this fight. Good win for Lawson, uh, he, who was definitely a star on the rise, and, and we'd see him back in strike force. Johnson is actually still competing today. He KO'd Joe Schilling in Bellator in October of 2019, so he's still going. 
Joe Schilling, the the kickboxer, right? Yes, the yeah. kickboxer who I think is is very overrated. Um, just not not as a kickboxer, but a guy that just should have never gotten into MMA, and you can see that from his record. And he kept saying, "I'm going to keep going," and he's finally done. Uh, Bellator finally released him, I think, in October of 2020. So he he's done his in MMA as far as I know. But yeah, never. I saw him fight in person. Was up in Connecticut. Was not impressed. Uh, again, from an MMA perspective. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just you know this Eric Lawson must have had local connection because there was a really good yeah, let's believe, go Lawson he, chant. Yeah, I think, that, he was an, yeah. I think he was an AKA fighter. So yeah, he, he definitely had a, a lot of local fans in his corner. Yeah, so it was definitely a good night for him. Nice to see the local crowd uh, behind him. It was little shades of, uh, you know, like a, a Kung Lee or Frank Shamrock there. Just yeah. people just really behind him. Yeah, on a much smaller scale, of course, but but definitely. All right, then in a uh, lightweight fight, Bobby Stack defeated Cirillo Padilla Neto via unanimous decision. In a 170-pound bout, Zach Bouchia uh, defeated Adam Steele via submission come by way of guillotine at 35 seconds of the first round, so a quick one there. Alvin Kaktak defeated Jose Palacios via submission come by way of rear naked choke at 310 of the second round in a featherweight bout. And then in a 135, uh, 135er bout, Darren Uya Noyama defeated Brad Royster via unanimous decision. I did want to mention, since this was Uya Noyama's last fight in Strike Force, I did want to mention the rest of his career. He would go on to make it to the UFC, where he would get the biggest win of his career, a unanimous decision over the late Norfumi Kid Yamamoto in 2012. Uh, he would end up at 2-2 two and two in the UFC before ending his fighting career in 2016 with a 10-6 record. Uh, all right, uh, we got one more fight on the undercard. Brian Schwartz defeated Lamont Davis via KO, uh, coming by way of a punch at 222 of the third round. This is a 175-pound bout. If those names sound familiar, that's because these two actually fought almost a year to the day before this bout in Strike Force, with Davis getting the mild upset victory by unanimous decision, and now Schwartz wanted revenge. Uh, there's no video of this, but I did find a couple minutes of it, uh, of the third round available on some bootleg fan cam on YouTube. Uh, so there's not a ton to say about the fight. I did. There are some recaps of the fight, and it seems like it was a pretty back and forth fight. And I believe one of the fighters, I think Schwartz, got a point taken away in the second round for some illegal activities. But Schwartz ends up catching Davis with a counter for the KO win of th in the third round, and he did get a huge reaction. Uh, from the crowd when he did that. So a lot of local fans there for Brian Schwartz. He's a Bay Area guy. And uh, Davis would actually have one more fight in strike force. While this would be it for Schwartz in all of combat sports, he has not competed since. I believe uh, he is still teaching and uh, running a gym in, in the Bay Area, if I, if I remember correctly. I think I looked it up last year at some point. But uh, seems like a, seems like a, a big win and a, a good way for Schwartz to go out. Yeah, he went out with a bang. I mean, that's crazy that he just, you know, stopped fighting after this. Uh, I did like his work. He had a little, you know, again, very little, but reminded me of a John Jones type, John Jones type fighter. He was good with the, the shoulder, the elbow. Uh, he used his body, he used his length in this fight. And uh, I don't want to say a dirty fighter, but he was definitely coming at you from, from all angles. Uh, so it's too bad he didn't have more of a career because I thought he looked pretty good here. Yeah, I mean, he, he had already been fighting for quite a long time at this point as a kickboxer. He was a really, really well-known kickboxer, but, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it just, it is what it is. So, all right, we're, uh, we're in the main card now. So at 130, it's technically supposed to be a 130 pound fight, um, but it, it was contested under 135 pounds. Kim Couture defeated Lena Kivokov. Via TKO coming by way of punches at 144 of the first round. Uh, both Couture and Kavokov were uh, very early on in their careers here. Couture was 0 and 1. Kavokov was 0 and 2. And you know, let's be honest, the only reason they were on the main card was because of of who Kim's husband was at the time, as we discussed earlier uh, during the show. You know, it, it comes down to making money and drawing eyeballs, and that's how you make money. And the, having Couture, having the name Couture on there was a huge deal in 2008. It'd be a big deal today. And uh, so, you know, that's why she was on. She was not definitely not ready for a main card bout on in a major MMA promotion. But here we are. Uh, I will mention a pre-event story. Kim detailed sparring with Vanderlei Silva at Extreme Couture. She'd really been working on her striking, and she wanted to show that off in her stri strike force debut. And she did. Uh, but, again, this fight was supposed to be at 130 pounds, uh, 130 pounds, Kvokov, she, her camp informed Couture's that she'd be coming in heavy. Kim took the fight anyway, uh, and Kvokov weighed in at 133, while Kim Couture weighed in at 132. So it wasn't really that big of a difference. 
Uh, I will mention Kim, of course, married to Randy Couture at the time. So he, she had Randy and Gina Carano uh, in her quarter. And, it, you know, Josh, I don't know what you thought, but it was – it, it looked pretty ugly. Uh, Kim <laughs> at least looked like a fighter in that, you know, even if her striking was pretty pedestrian for a pro MMA fighter, I mean, she went right at Kvokov, landed punches, some nice knees in the clinch. Kvokov clearly wanted none of it. I mean, she kept turning her head away, taking her eyes off Couture. She kept getting blasted. I mean, it, it was the ref could have stopped it earlier. And it wasn't like she was being really, really, de- you know, devastated or anything like that, but she just. She's just not a fighter. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to sound disrespectful of her, but, um, you know, the ref stepped in and, and had seen enough, and, and this was over mercifully pretty quickly. Again, 144 of the uh, of the first round. Uh, but it just – it was pretty ugly. I saw the fight stats for this one. Couture had a 21-4 edge in – 21-4 to edge in strikes. It just – not a good fight and definitely not the way you want to kick off a main card. You know that emoji where – it's like the round face and then there's vomit and it's like green. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt watching this fight. Because <laughs> well, I was, that's, a, that's a little, that's a little extreme. Well, uh, no, no pun intended. <laughs> um, well, we got a Paul Heyman and an extreme reference in the same podcast. <laughs> well, I was we're, talking about extreme couture, but we can go with yours too. Oh, okay. Well, you know where mine's at. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm still doing the ECW, yeah, you know, chance in, in the, in the bingo dub. hall. ECW. Yes. <laughs> I always wondered why it stopped at dub. Like I never I, yeah, heard the I, know, I noticed that too. Yeah. Well, I, okay. yeah, never mind. That's a whole like, that's a whole other discussion. All right. Anyway, so, so yeah, you, you didn't like well, Kovalev's. Uh, well, the reason was I I felt like she threw the fight. I know she did it. I'm not alleging that she did, but it just felt like she didn't want to fight and she wanted out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, her, she had her hands up to her chin in the most bizarre way that I've ever seen. I mean, in a, in a street fight, in a professional fight, you just wouldn't do that. I mean, that's what you would do if you were like five or something like that. Okay. All right. So real quick to be, and this is not to be fair because it's not, it's not really fair. She's a professional that's in there getting paid to fight. So it's not a street fight in that sense. These are people that have trained and are supposed to know what they're doing, but I've seen a gazillion, you know, world star fights. Like, I don't, I don't know why I started getting them, offered on Facebook on the video thing, but basically you see this all the time where it's like two, whether they're guys or girls more often I see it happen with girls, but it happens with guys and, and you get hit in the face and you don't like it. And you turn your head and you know, you see like one arm up as they're kind of turning away. I mean, it was completely unprofessional. I don't mean that as again, I'm trying to insult her, but as a professional fighter, it, you couldn't have been more unprofessional as a fighter because, because it wasn't a defense. It was not a defense and that's why the ref stopped it. But anyways, go ahead. I mean, she didn't throw a jab. She didn't try to have any kind of distance. I mean, it was just like, how did this person get in this moment? It really felt like they plucked her out of the front row. And I heard she never won an MMA fight. I looked at her, her record, whatever. I'm sure she's a great person, but it definitely did not feel like this was the best matchmaking uh, for, for this show. Um, I did note that, that uh, doing some research that Kim Couture, she had, broke her her jaw in a previous fight did you see this yes as i was doing i saw that too and i actually there's a if you google kim couture it's like one of the first things that says kim couture jaw and i was like what's that and i looked at it and i've forgotten but yeah her this was her second fight her first fight she'd gotten her jaw broke in the in in the fight so she's tough i mean (laughs) she's definitely tough she tried to claim that she got her jaw broken because it was the first punch of that fight and she was trying to touch gloves and the the kim rose was the opponent just punched her and knocked her down and she ended up losing um i didn't really see that when i watched it like it looked like she just got caught right away with a punch but uh that was that was crazy, you know. But this was a good comeback win for her against somebody who was not ready to be in there. And I was Bass Rutland had said that 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 Volkov looked like relaxed. I don't know if you remember that. Like she did not look relaxed. She just looked scared the whole time. Like you can tell so much of the time. Like you know, Conor McGregor goes in there against Donald Cerrone, and it's like you don't expect that kind of outcome, but you just know Conor's gonna flatten this dude, and 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 it was the same here. It was like she's not gonna win. There's no way. She just looks so scared in this fight. She was not ready for Oscar or for Kim Couture, either one of them. So, uh, but 
you know, I, I mercifully Kavokov, she would never fight in MMA again. Just she must have realized this isn't for me. Um, and she just didn't have it from, you know, from the looks of it and, you know, uh, kudos to her. Like I, I, I try to say, you know, Hey, we, we try to give everybody respect that will step in the cage. Um, but, but, you know, I respect her for doing that, but she just, you know, just didn't have it. So, uh, but Couture would fight one more time in strike force on a challenger's card and she would continue to compete until 2014 ending her career at three and H does have a couple names on that record, but she, she lost all the, all, all her fights against name fighters. Um, all right, 185-pound fight. Here we go. Luke Rockhold defeated Nick Theotikos via submission coming and who I had been referring to him as Theotikos, and I knew that didn't sound right, and then I heard Kenny Rice on uh, on commentary, Theotikos. He, uh, but Theotikos lost via submission come where, by way of <laughs> Rune choke at 306 of the first round. So finally, Josh's twin makes his Strikeforce big event debut, so it's a reality. We can finally talk about him. Uh, Rockhold, super early in his career, only 2-1 and one at this point. Theodicus had actually fought twice for Strikeforce already, won both those bouts, was 5-1 and one coming in. So this was a, a stiff test for a very young Rockhold, uh, and it wouldn't last very long. After a wild swing from Rockhold, Theodicus caught him with what looked like a pretty tight guy, uh, guillotine, and, and Boss Rutten actually thought it was thought it was in and done, but Rockhold stayed calm, got out of it. And from there, it was all Rockhold as the AKA product controlled Theodicus on the ground, mixing in some punches with improving his position on the mat. Eventually, Rockhold got his opponent's back, secured the rear naked choke, and got the tap, and, and that was it. But Rockhold definitely looked very poised for a guy so early on his, in his career. He was clearly a, a fighter to watch. So if we call him Theodicus, can we call Luke Rockhold Spartacus? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so, so Rockhold, uh, I mean, Rockhold's a great fighter because he's like one of the, he's one of the guys who eventually made it big in strike force and then he made it big in the UFC. Um, I felt as though he dodged a bullet really early on here. He did that wild punch and then Theodicus took him down and he had him in a really good guillotine. It looked pretty tight. Um, and then he lost it and, and Rockhold came out of it. But did, did you see that? I mean, did you worry? I mean, obviously we know he didn't lose, but watching it in retrospect, but I mean, it looked like, dang, this guy could have lost right away. If, if the, I, I thought he had, had it. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, I knew Rockhold won obviously. So I knew he didn't have him, but just watching it, it you know, no arm in, and I don't know if, I don't know if Theodicus didn't just didn't get his hands secured. Um, but, but he, man, he looked like he had it. I, I thought that was it. It looked really tight. Yeah. So, you know, that was, he dodged that bullet. And then after that, uh, Rockhold, you know, gained his poise. Obviously Theodicus burned a lot of energy trying to submit him and Rockhold just stuck to him. He, he never gave Theodicus a chance to breathe, kept him on the ground. He made a smart adjustment to the fight. Um, and it was good. You know, the stand-up has never been really the best part of Rockhold's game. I say that. He's a really good kickboxer. But when we're talking about just punching, uh, never been his best, either throwing hands or having the chin to uh, survive, you know, cue up the Michael Bisping fight. So we saw a little bit of that, those glimpses here, that Rockhold was a great submission fighter. Uh, Kenny Rice said right after he won, if nothing else... Rockhold has one of the best names in MMA. So they were having fun with that. Uh, you know, it's just, it was really good to see that. I, I know that, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit overplayed. Rockhold, he had movie star good looks. You know, he had this incredible physique. He's a young rising star and he looked incredible. So it's a good thing that he had the skills to, to match that image. And he, he did go far and what we're going to talk about that. I think he could have gone a lot farther. Um, I, I don't know what I think of the Rockhold legacy yet. I think that he could have been a crossover star. I mean, he's a big guy. He could have been in the WWE if he wanted to, you know, I mean, he looked great. He looked the part. Um, and he's, he's kind of a guy like, I don't, he gets, he's got an attitude too. Like his, it's just like a little bit of a, that pretty war snark to him. You just kind of like, damn Rockhold, like you're really good, but I wouldn't cry if you got your ass beat either, you know, <laughs> like he had that about him and that just yeah, draws kind of that heel charisma to him. Yeah. You know? And so there's just so much that we could have done with that. And he did go far. He, he did have a good career. 
I felt like he could yeah, have been won the, even won more. The, what won belts in Strikeforce and UFC, right? I mean, you can't yeah. ask for much more than that. I really wanted to see him fight Anderson Silva. I thought that would have been a great fight a while ago, but um, you know, I probably never see that happen. But anyway, this was really cool to see him in there, hungry, young, uh, just wanting to be better and being excited. This is always a gr- this is the great thing about Strike Force. We see it with Josh Thompson. We see it with Kung Lee. We see it with Gilbert Melendez. We see it later with Daniel Cormier. Like these guys are hungry. And they're ready to take over the world, and this is the first glimpse of it. So that's that's what I really love about revisiting all these shows. No, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, and we will be talking about Rockhold a lot more. He'd be back in Strike Force many times. Uh, in fact, his next bout it would be at the very next Strike Force event, Shamrock versus Diaz. Uh, the following year in 2009, Theodicus, for his part, will fight one more time, ending his career the following year uh, again in 2009 at six and two. All right, next bout, 170 pounds. Joe Riggs defeats Luke Stewart via TKO, coming by way of punches at 205 of the second round. Diesel was 28 and 10 coming into this bout, having lost to Kazuo Masaki in the main event of Strike Force's second Playboy Mansion show two months prior to destruction. Uh, if you remember, it was a pretty controversial stoppage that Josh and I went back and forth on a couple episodes back. Now back at welterweight, Riggs would look to stop the momentum of Luke Stewart. Uh, who was 6-1. and one. He was coming off a win over Jesse Juarez on the same card. Still a star on the rise. Beating Riggs would be a huge, huge coup, a big milestone for Stewart if he could pull it off. Look, uh, Riggs looked very confident in the pre-fight stare down in the middle of the, of, the, of the cage, as noted by Boss on commentary. He even smiled as they separated. So, And, again, that was something that Boss talked about. Big John McCarthy was the referee for this one. Got a nice round of applause when he was announced. Nice to see Big John in there. Uh, Stewart with a nice trip takedown early on in the first, putting Riggs on his back. Riggs was able to persevere and brought things back to the feet after an escape, and the two traded some strikes before Stewart got another takedown. Became a, a ground battle from there with Stewart improving his position from the top while Riggs would set him back here and there and, and that's how the round ended 10-9 for Stewart based on the takedowns uh, and then in the second round this time Diesel got a trip takedown early on and that was the beginning of the end Riggs landed some nice shots from guard Stewart pushed him off but Diesel began pouring on the shots and Stewart lost by stoppage for the first time in his career as Big John steps in and waves things off very very nice showing for Joe Diesel Riggs one thing you mentioned, Big John McCarthy being in there, getting an ovation. I remember this. I don't know if you feel the same way, Phil. You'd watch the UFC, and of course, and you always knew that was the more popular, successful company. And then you'd watch Strike Force, and you know, well, it's not as big, but it's still MMA, and it's got a lot of good, good fighters. When you would see these referees, Herb Dean, Big John McCarthy. It sort of bridged the worlds. It was really cool. Like, you knew, like, these are the same guys who were refing these fights on the other show. And they were also here. And it made me think, like, oh, these aren't, like, refs who are hired by the UFC. These are refs for the sport. And so when you would see McCarthy and you'd see these well-known referees more popular than the actual fighters, many of them, I think it did a lot for credibility of of the of strike force another brand did you did you ever get that sense when you well, were watching i mean it, it helps when you see the recognizable referees but uh, you know if you if you have worked in the sport you know that the the promotions have nothing to do as they shouldn't they have nothing to do with who we which referees are assigned i saw uh, i saw uh, referees that did strike force events i would i saw them at gladiator challenge events with you know 150 200 people in the, in the crowd. So it has nothing to, now it does change their pay. If I remember correctly, uh, I may, I may be wrong on that. I, I can't swear to that, but yeah, of course it helps seeing big John at a strike force event for, to the casual fan who has no idea that the referee doesn't work for the promotion, but works for the local, that state's athlete. Well, it doesn't even work for the state athletic commission, but gets licensed by the state athletic commission. Yeah. It's it, so, yeah, it looks good. But, but if you know the sport beyond just being a casual, you know that that it the the promotion has nothing to do with who refs the shows. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that. It, it's just it's just kind of cool to see, like, well, that's the UFC guy, you know, and he's at the Strikeforce show. It's it's one of the only times you'll see that crossover. You know, maybe, maybe you know, obviously the corner people as well. You know, this fight was um, thought it was a little bit boring. You know, it was a lot of ground stuff. Uh, Riggs got on top of him. He wore him out. Stewart exerted a lot of energy. You know, Riggs is 
is is heavier than he looks. And what I mean by that is just he's got relentless pressure and he's a he, he's a capable of carrying more weight. And so that that's a lot to carry when you've got a guy like that on top of you. It's just super aggressive. And uh, then once he was able to hit him, when Stewart was on his back, and then he rolled over, and that was that was it, and Stewart, Stewart was was done. So you know, it was exciting at the very end. Up until that point, it was I just thought it was a little too much on the ground. Yeah, I mean, you can have a really exciting ground fight. This was not a super exciting ground fight, and like you said, nothing really happens until the you know till the end. But so I, I can't I can't really disagree with you. Uh, but in the post-fight interview with Ron Kruk, Riggs said he'd broken his left hand in the first exchange. Uh, he also pointed out Cain Velasquez in the crowd, said he was a tough MF'er and that he would beat Brock Lesnar for sure. And uh, Kruk pointed out that Riggs had actually fought at heavyweight at some point, and Diesel mentioned that he'd actually wrestled Kane when they were uh, when they were both heavyweights in high school in Arizona. So small world, but uh, you know Riggs was respectful of Stewart in the end, and and you know got his hand raised. But nice rebound win for Diesel, just overwhelmed. Stewart here and he would be back in strike force the following year at Lawler versus Shields where he'd take on Phil Baroni. I'm very much looking forward to discussing that event. Stewart would take some time away from MMA after this one fighting one more time at a challengers event in 2010. And that was, that was it. And since we won't be fighting or covering that fight specifically, since it was on a challengers card, we'll, we'll wrap things up with Stewart here, but you know, I, I don't know what you think, Josh, but Luke Stewart to me, solid fighter, you know, he seemed to have a good thing going where it's, you know, he's got his tattoo shop and, and that seemed to be doing well. And then he, you know, trains for fights and, and kind of just does both and seemed like a good lifestyle for him. And I don't know why he stepped away, but seemed to have a good mix of ground and stand up skills as well. I mean, he just seemed like an overall just very solid fighter, but uh, just, you know, didn't go any further than strike force. Maybe he didn't want to, maybe he didn't, maybe he was just done, but, uh, but this was it. But Josh, what did, what did you think about Stewart? Well, you know, I know it takes incredible amount of heart and drive to just make the walk and step into the cage to fight. But to me, I just never felt like Stewart liked to fight. Like every time I watched him, he did not seem happy. He did not seem like he was enjoying himself. And it seemed as though he was doing it maybe because he could, maybe because he did have the talent, but it did not look like this guy was living and breathing MMA fighting. And I mean, you know, you, you've been around the fighters, you promoted them, like, like you have to give your all. Like, it's so hard. And if you're not 100% all in and basically willing to do it for free at this stage of their career, then there's not a lot to motivate you. So, I mean, I just think that he always sort of just looked like he was going through the motions, even though he was strong. He was a good fighter. He was technically fine. Um you know, maybe he didn't like what happened in this fight, you know, got knocked out, got popped. Um, I don't want to experience that again. And maybe he said, I could make just as much money, more money in a year doing tattoos than I can get putting my life on the line, you know, in the in the um, cage. So, so I don't know. Um, maybe we should go find him. We could have an offshoot podcast. What happened to, you know, these rising star fighters? And there have been a few. He's not the first one who just stopped fighting, you know, when yeah. they had a bright, bright potential, but yeah, that's my I, take. Yeah. I've thought about trying to get in touch with him and, and maybe we will at some point, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it just, it is what it is and, and congrats on a, a successful career and, you know, he went out on his terms, it sounds like, but uh, here we go. We're finally at hands of steel, 185 pound matchup. Scott hands of steel. Smith defeated Terry Martin at 24 seconds of the first round coming by way of KO very brutal punch here. Dangerous Terry Martin, 18 and six, was coming off a nice KO of Corey Devella in his own right at Strike Force's second Playboy Mansion show. He was somebody looking to look like he was looking to build his career inside the hexagon. Uh, and man, where do we start with Scott Smith? I mean, at this point in his career, he was a UFC and Elite XC veteran holding a record of 14 and five. He was two years past that insane fight with Pete Sell at the Ultimate Fighter season four finale where Sell had hurt him with a liver shot and Smith had swung, swung wildly and knocked Sell out just as he was about to go out himself. It was one of the most insane endings to a UFC fight ever. Josh, do you, do you remember that fight? Yeah, you know, and I, I go back and forth on that ending because on one hand, it, it looks like, oh, Smith got popped and then he just threw this, you know, Rocky Apollo Creed punch as he was going down and he got lucky and then he collapsed. Um, but I've watched the punch. Like, I it, 
the punch was not to the liver. It looked like it was kind of to the side, to the ribs. And um, I don't know. I wonder if Scott Smith, maybe we could ask him this. How much of that was, were you luring him in so you could pop him with that shot? Um, it was an amazing counterpunch. And, and it showed how powerful Scott Smith is. And it was definitely one of the most memorable moments in in MMA. And if you're Pete Sell... Boy, do you hate life after that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you, you, to be remembered for that. But, yeah, well, you know, Scott has agreed to come on the show, so we'll definitely have to have to ask him about that. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Scott doesn't – he does not – he looks like a surfer. Like, he does not look like this guy that carries dynamite in his hands. But as we would see in this fight, he really does. Uh, but for his part, he was coming off a TKO loss to Robbie Lawler at Elite XC Unfinished Business in July. And this would actually prove to be one of Elite XC's final events. And and so let's, I know this this podcast is not about Elite XC, but since they did have a, a partnership with Strike Force, I think we should talk a little bit about that. Uh, we had the infamous Kimbo Slice, Seth Petrozelli fight that we've referenced on this show several times. It was aired on CBS and taken place at Elite XC Heat on October 4th, a month and a half before this Strike Force event that we're discussing. And the original main event was supposed to feature Kimbo and Ken Shamrock, but Shamrock had suffered a cut the day of the fight while warming up and had been pulled. Frank Shamrock, who was doing commentary the event for the event, had offered to step in, uh, but was denied whether it was by the, I doubt the promotion would have denied that, but uh, it looks like, uh, so it was probably the local Florida State Athletic Commission. So instead, undercard light heavyweight Seth Petrozelli, a UFC veteran, was tapped to step in, and he knocked Kimbo out in 14 seconds. Uh, afterwards, in some post-fight interviews, Seth claimed that he'd been essentially, we'll be generous here and, and use the term coached <laughs> by, elite, by elite XC officials to not take the fight to the mat. Uh, the promotion was already in trouble financially at this point, and this event would, would hasten its fall, and Elite XC would f- would hold one more event six days later, a Challengers event that was already set up, and then they would officially close up shop on October 20th, 2008, almost exactly one month before the Strikeforce event we're discussing on this show. And a few months after, in February of 2009, Scott Coker and Strikeforce would purchase Elite XC's tape library and other assets, and we'll discuss that on a future episode, but... That's why we had guys like Scott Smith and start seeing some others come over from Elite XC because they no longer had a home promotion. Can I just say that whomever said no to Frank Shamrock stepping in to face Kimbo Slice made the mistake of a lifetime? Uh, because can you imagine? I mean, that would have been uh, yeah real. Frank like, would have, Frank would have eaten eaten him alive, but at least would have made a lot more sense for Frank to eat him alive than Petrozelli. No disrespect to Seth Petrozelli, but. Not a not a big name in MMA. The other weird thing about this was what the hell happened to Ken Shamrock where he's getting cut sparring, training, hours before the fight. I mean, that's something else that goes to this whole Elite XC conspiracy theory. I mean, you use the thing coached. Um, I, but I, I don't buy, that, see, I don't uh, buy that. I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish and then I'll explain why I don't buy that. Okay, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I am, I, I, You know, we all love conspiracy theories, at least to entertain them. And then we say they're stupid. But, like, it was just a weird day. You know, Ken Shamrock gets cut. Frank Shamrock wants to step in. Elite XC is about to fold. They need a big main event. Their big stars is people are realizing, like, it's just a matter of time before Kimbo fights a real fighter and loses. They try to bring in Seth Bretticelli in a weird sort of twist of events and tell him, please don't. Don't take the fight, you know. Um, uh, supposedly, supposedly they offered a bonus if he didn't take the fight down or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, give Kimbo every opportunity to knock you out. And then Petrocelli just goes in there and catches him with a right hand. And Kimbo just is out for some weird reason, even though this dude had been hit many times in the backyard fights. But whatever. It was just a weird day, weird, weird night. And, I mean, tell me why Ken Shamrock mysteriously got pulled from the fight. Well, it, it does happen because I remember uh, Patrick Cote, Tito Ortiz. Tito was warming up for the fight and, oh, no, no, it was in the cage. No, 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 it was in the cage and he's doing his grave, you know, grave digger routine thing like before the fight or, or his point to the ground thing and he's bouncing and then the the commission guy didn't get out of the way and as as Tito was coming back to the his side of the cage for the fight to start, he steps on the commission guys or whoever it was, the ringside guy's foot and rolls his ankle. 
And then, so <laughs> this stuff does happen. Like you guys that are warming up, like they're doing that thing where they, um, Oh God, how do you describe it? Where they, you're kind of like in a bear hug and, and then like you switch your arms back and forth with the guy and like you're switching your head on either side, you could easily bang heads, you know, like, so you're hitting met, you're hitting mitts, like, and you know, let's say you're hitting mitts and, and the guy holding the pads, you know, he swings back as, as they do and, and accidentally clips you. I think there's, I think it's definitely possibility. And, and then what's the, what's the benefit of, of Shamrock, you know, not wanting to do the fight? Like what's the benefit? Cause if Kimbo beats Petrozelli, then, well, you know, he was quote unquote supposed to beat Petrozelli and it doesn't mean as much as him and Shamrock. They know they're in trouble. I just don't see any reason that makes any sort of sense at all for Shamrock to, to come out. And I think there's enough reason that he could have gotten injured that I don't think there was anything weird with that, but yeah, the, Offering Petrozelli, you know, sweeten up, sweetening up his uh, fight purse a little bit there. I, I, yeah, to me, you know, and hey, take, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I just mean, there was so much, so much, so many questions swirling around the Elite XC and oh, it was uh, dirty. It was their dirty. promotion. It was, I mean, it is, is it, yeah, is it beyond the realm of possibility that they went to Ken Shamrock and said, you need to stand with Kimbo. Oh, I number one, Ken, I, I would never accuse Ken of being a coward or being afraid. Of, I mean, the guy, his, 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 I don't want to say courage, but his willingness to fight goes beyond his ability to fight. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I, I don't, I don't buy that for a second. That doesn't mean that the elite XC people wouldn't go to him and say, Hey buddy, a little extra scratch. If you keep it standing, I, I'm not saying that wouldn't happen, but I'm saying that I don't think Ken would have pulled out because they wanted him to keep it standing. So I'm I'm saying Elite XC had some people that didn't seem to be of the highest character, not saying all of them, but that there were some guys, there's a lot of things said, things said about. And, and so I could see some, you know, some stuff going on. But and I, like I said, Seth Petrozelli uh, said that there was. But I don't see Ken pulling out. So. And then the weird, the weird thing is, Seth Petrocelli never really even got a rub out of this thing. Yeah, like, not really. In fact, I, you know what though? I think he's uh, he's done training at the Performance Center. I'm almost positive that he's he's you know that he because he's become a trainer within MMA, and I think he's worked with a bunch of guys at the uh, at the Performance Center, if I remember correctly. Uh, I mean, he did some pro wrestling for sure. So. Um, yeah, I, but no, he never, you know, he never made it as a big time, you know. Yeah, he never made it as like, it, it didn't become like a huge boon for his career or anything like that. So, but anyways, all right, uh, let us continue on here. Uh, so we're, yeah, I was like, what were we actually talking you, about? So we we're talking you, about. You had to bring up Kimbo Slice. I'm sorry. Well, I just, we had to tell the story of Elite <laughs> okay. XC going out of business, but yeah. uh, we're actually talking about the, the Scott Smith Fight so Randy Couture and Mark Munoz were in the were in the corner uh, of Scott Smith and Kung Lee was on commentary for this one, but not for very long. Very quick one, nice one hitter quitter for Hands of Steel. After fo- both fighters kind of felt out the the distance a little bit, Smith caught Martin coming in with a right cross during the exchange, and Martin just went not you just out cold face first to the canvas. Smith cocked his hand back for a follow up, but saw that that Martin was out and held up as the ref rushed in, but brutal highlight reel knockout yeah this was one of the only times scott smith faced a fighter who was smaller than him and less less of a reach so i think he had a little bit of confidence um i i did not like martin's um you know stand up he just left himself open and you're going in there against a slugger it just didn't make sense and you know smith just rocked him i mean that was a great right hand i mean it was so good and he was down and you know, it was one of those replays you want to watch over and over credit to scott smith for not hitting martin again while he was down he had the time uh referee was far enough away before he stepped in to wave it off um and he could have he could have been all caught up of course martin was face down and uh that would have looked really bad if he did but you know i i, I scott smith's kind of a nice guy so it's good to say this let me just say you know, Scott Smith, one of my favorite fights, probably my favorite fight of all time. We're going to talk about it later. The miracle in San Jose where he knocked out Kung Lee. I mean, that was amazing. Such an amazing KO because Kung Lee was such a badass at that time. 
Smith, by the way, bears a resemblance to Joaquin Phoenix. Do you see this at all? I do not see this. <laughs> oh, you, you're, <laughs> you're, you know, look at a young Joaquin Phoenix, look at a young Scott Smith and tell me. Or I should okay. say young Joaquin Phoenix, old Scott Smith. Uh, uh, but I, I, Scott Smith just had this everyman quality and we're seeing oh, the beginning absolutely. of it here. Absolutely. You know? He's tough, hard to hit, you know. Um, I mean, doesn't, I doesn't say, look like a fighter. I mean, good-looking guy, and and but like I said, he looked more like a surfer. He didn't look like a fighter at all. Yeah, and I don't know if he's got any merch, but I, I uh, definitely probably not. I would wear his merchandise because I mean, he's a guy who just is a tough, badass puncher. And man, we're gonna talk about that Kung Lee fight eventually. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm night. looking forward to that too. And I, that's actually where I have earmarked. Uh, I want to. I want to. That's when we want to talk to him. So um, talk to Scott Smith. So I, I'm curious to hear what he's up to now. I know he worked in construction and that sort of thing, but here, curious to hear what he's doing. He better uh, be living in a trailer. I mean, come on, he's got to be. <laughs> he's got to live the gimmick, you know. I'm sure he would prefer not to be, but uh, <laughs> but anyways. Uh, but Hands of Steel will be back at the next Strike Force event, Shamrock versus Diaz. And as I've said, he's agreed to to be on the show, so I look forward to that conversation. Maybe you'll be the one based on your fandom. Maybe you'll. I mean, I'm a big fan of Scott Smith too. I really like his 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 fighting style, killer be killed and all that. But, uh, but maybe you should, should do that interview. Uh, but <laughs> this would be it for Martin and strike force. Ne- never really made it quite back to the level of a national promotion, though, though he did fight for several more years. He ended his career, uh, in 2017 with a 23 and 12 record, but absolutely made his mark on the sport with some highlight, real knockouts and, and losses, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, guy that really pulled himself out of what was looking like a very tough life and is, you know, got his education and, and I'm not sure what he's doing these days, but uh, kudos to him for becoming a successful fighter and successful in life as well. All right. We are to the co-main event catch weight bout of 164 pounds. Dwayne bang Ludwig defeated Eve Edwards via unanimous decision. Bang was 17 and eight coming into this one uh, after getting a big revenge win over Sammy Morgan at the last strike force event payback. As we mentioned earlier, he had stepped in for Josh Thompson as an injury replacement in this fight and on only two weeks' notice. So this was a big chance for him to position himself for a future title fight. Edwards, very, very experienced at 34-14-1, was coming off a very quick loss to KJ Nunes at an Elite XC event a few months prior. Formerly a a top lightweight in MMA, he had had an early UFC highlight reel head kick knockout of Josh Thompson, as we also mentioned earlier. So a rematch with Thompson for the belt would have been intriguing, and the thought would be if he beats uh, Dwayne here that he probably would be in line for that. Uh, Thompson, for his part, was on commentary for this one and pretty lackluster opening round. Edwards got a takedown and pretty much just rode that, never really doing much damage. In between rounds, Rice asked Thompson about his injury and what was next. The, the champ said he hoped to be back for the next Strike Force event and that he'd like to take on Frank Shamrock or Half Gracie, which were kind of interesting choices. We've talked about his feud with Shamrock. And in fact, Kenny Rice pointed out that Shamrock was actually sitting uh, just a few feet away from them, enjoying the show and had a beer in his hand. And Thompson said, hey, as long as he keeps drinking that beer, it's all good. Maybe I'll send him around, that sort of thing. So they were still kind of sniping at each other. Uh, he mentioned Half Gracie. Half had fought in pride. I, I remember seeing him fight in pride. And uh, Josh said he'd always wanted to fight a Gracie. And then he felt that Half was the best one of the, of the bunch. And, uh, you know, that fight didn't end up happening. I don't think Half had any more fights. Uh, I don't think he had any more fights after those, those pride fights. And I don't think he was competing at this point, but no mention of Gil Melendez, which is a little surprising to me there. But uh, anyway, back to the fight, a lot more action early on in the second with Banks showing off his striking skills, which were clearly superior to Edwards uh, that you traded some takedowns with Ludwig getting a nice slam takedown. And then in the third and final round, Ludwig was able to stay on the feet more, had better conditioning, very clearly uh, showed that. And and the judges obviously must have put more weight in Ludwig's strikes than in Edwards' takedowns. And he got the unanimous decision win. Uh, this would be Eve Edwards' only strike force fight. Uh, he would fight, and, and which I, by the way, I'm not surprised by based on his performance. I mean, it just just didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, it wasn't the Eve Edwards that I remember seeing in, in the UFC, uh, but he would fight his way back into the UFC, and I'd forgotten about this, but he got an 11-fight run with the promotion uh, after this. I think he fought one or two more times outside of the UFC, and then got back into the octagon and, again, had that 11-fight run. It ended in 2014, after which he retired with a record of 42-22-1. Truly a, a, a great pioneer, lightweight fighter for sure, and he, I believe he's involved in coaching and commentary, definitely still involved uh, with the sport in MMA. And despite getting the win and, and coming in on short notice, 
This would actually be Dwayne Ludwig's last appearance, uh, at least on a major Strike Force event. He would lose to Lyle Beerbaum on a Challengers event the following year by Bulldog Choke. Uh, but you're going to hear from Bang on a, fu- a future bonus episode of Inside the Hexagon. Uh, look for that to drop very soon, possibly even the week that this episode that we're recording right now debuts. So, so stay tuned on that. Uh, not the most exciting fight, but, you know, uh, on short notice, uh, I don't know what you're going to expect from Ludwig. And I felt like this was one of those ones where, you know, styles make fights, and I feel like this one, they, they just kind of clashed, and it didn't go, it didn't look great. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit boring, kind of mechanical. Um, Eve Edwards was not what he used to be. It, it was just not there. There was something about this fight. These guys had no chemistry at all. It was not exciting. A lot of hugging snugging going on uh, they were just too close to each other and it was not exciting to watch i didn't like josh thompson's uh, commentary either i thought he was a little annoying here um it was it was a longer fight so we got to hear more and i mean he's really good at like doing the whole like i know how to fight too analysis but not much of a storyteller like a frank shamrock as a storyteller while also implementing his expertise so anyway i i didn't think this was the the best fight of the night by any means. No, for sure. Um, I will mention Seth Petrozelli. He was the striking coach at the performance center, uh, WWE's performance center as of 2015. And then actually wrestled for major league wrestling MLW uh, for a while. I don't know what he's, if he's with, I don't, it doesn't look like he's still with MLW. Don't know what he's, if he's still with the performance center and I haven't heard his name in a while, but just wanted to, to quickly close the loop on that. All right, so main event time, Hinato Babalu Silbrawl defeated Bobby Southworth via TKO, coming by way of Dr. Stoppage at the end of the first round to win the Strike Force Light Heavyweight Championship. Long-awaited title fight was on. It looked like it was going to be an interesting fight. Sobral was on a three-fight winning streak, which included a decision victory over Mike Whitehead at an Affliction MMA event in July of 2008. Southworth was also coming off of a decision win, which was a, a, a uh, which was a title fight win against Anthony Ruiz. Uh, jumping in, the, the word that comes to mind with this fight was tight. Uh, Sobral clinched Southworth very tightly against the fence. He reversed and got a takedown. Uh, it was looking like it was going to be the standard Southworth fight, so he, as he continued to work his grinding ground game, but Babalu was able to withstand and got the fight back to the feet, again clinching the champ against the cage. From there, it was a lot of trading clinch positions against the cage, and honestly, I'm pretty surprised that Big John McCarthy didn't separate them uh, because there just was not a lot going on. But eventually, Babalu lands a short elbow to the eyebrow that opened up a deep gash over Southworth's right eye. McCarthy steps in to take a look as the round is coming to an end, and he allowed the fight to continue. There was only about 10 seconds left. Southworth seeming to sense that, you know, they had to be, there was a sense of urgency there. He got a kind of a trip push takedown and rushed in, but the horn sounded before he could really do anything, and that was it. And the doctor took a closer look at that cut, which actually, there was actually two cuts. There was one on the the eyelid, and then there was one uh, over his eyebrow or on his eyebrow, and it, that one was just too deep. Fight was stopped, making Babalu the new champion. This had to be frustrating for Southworth as he was likely winning the fight, and this was the second time he'd lost because of a cut. In fact, he had two losses in Strike Force, and they were both by, both because of due to a, a very deep cut. Yeah, I never really liked uh, Bobby Southworth's style of fighting. Everything I said about Scott Smith, reverse it, and you've got Bobby Southworth. It's just not um, exciting for a fan to watch. He's very safe. And this fight put that on display. He was so close and in the clinch. And it was just like, do you want to win this fight or not? Or do you want to survive and win on points? What, what is your deal? I can, I I can answer that for you. He wanted, he just wanted to win. However, look, cause there was a pre-fight interview where Southworth basically said that he's like, I know, and I'm very much paraphrasing because I'm going off memory, but basically saying like, I know that people think I'm not the most exciting fighter, but I need to win. I'm here to win. So he didn't care about being exciting or being entertaining. He cared about winning because he thought that's all he needed to do to keep going. Yeah. You know, that's a philosophical perspective. I mean, how many fights has Conor McGregor won recently? <laughs> Nobody knows or cares, but they know it's an exciting fight. Uh, same thing with uh, Scott Smith, right? It was you're going to book him because he's got an exciting style. Uh, but but whatever, um, it just didn't work for me. Uh, Sabral caught him with the you know the the elbow, cut him up. He was just too close, and I just 
you know, Bobby Southworth, he's definitely made his, his name in MMA and he's uh, somebody who had a very good, respectable career, but I just felt like he strategized too much in the cage and it was just not, not the best path in terms of that long-term legacy. And, um, you know, like a, a Josh Thompson, for example, Josh Thompson, dude, that guy left it all in the cage every time, right? He's exciting to watch. Win or lose, you're just like, you knew this guy was going to put on a show for you. Sabral or, you know, Babalu, great neck tattoo. So actually he won the <laughs> fight before it even started. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't, you know, look, I talked to Bobby, I yeah. interviewed him on the show. I'll do respect to him for sure. But he wasn't the most exciting fighter. And I have to think, you know, I don't want to put thoughts in Coker's head, but I have to think he was you know, Hey, good. Like we, we got a different champion in here now. Who's going to put on more exciting fights. Cause it, that was just Southworth style. And, but to his credit, you have to give him credit. He made his, made his name in the UFC, won a major title in, in strike force and still involved with the sport today. So I give him all the respect for getting in there and winning some big fights, but yeah, he was just not the most, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing fighter from a, a style standpoint and i think in the long run i think that's going to hurt you even if you win because you're not going to win unless you're habib you're not going to win every fight you know and and so uh but regardless you know we had a new light heavyweight champion in babalu he'd be back inside the hexagon the following year and you'll be hearing from the former champ on next week's episode as babalu joins the show in a very revealing and honest discussion about his fight his uh, about this fight his career and his life. And sadly, Babalu is blind in one eye. He's dealing with, with some neurological issues. He's had a lot of physical issues, but he's continues to operate a successful gym in Southern California. And, you know, it's not a sad discussion at all, uh, but it, it's, it's definitely a very intriguing and open conversation. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our discussion there. Uh, this would be it for Southworth and Strikeforce. He would fight one more time in Australia in 2010, getting a win in his career at 10 and six. Overall, again, solid, successful career. Uh, you can hear my interview with Bobby in the archives, so, so make sure you check that out if you haven't already. But that's it for Strike Force Destruction. No fighters pop for drugs of abuse or performance enhancers because, well, I don't say it's because of this, but once again, there, were no there was no drug testing conducted. Uh, this time, the CSAC had a new executive director in Bill Douglas who canceled all drug testing while, quote, I revamped the entire process from start to finish end quote. And he said it was going to, that process was going to roll out the following week. But in the meantime, we're just going to let one of like a major MMA event go with no drug tests. So there you go. Uh, total disclosed fighter payroll, $319,000 notable salaries to mention Southworth got 20,000 while new champion Sobral earned 50,000, which included a $25,000 win bonus. Dwayne Bang Ludwig took home 32,500 which uh, while Edwards got 12,000, Scott Smith earned 20 uh, 40,000 which included a $20,000 bonus while Terry Martin got 20,000. Kim Couture uh, got uh, I put $10 here but I'm clearly wrong on that. I don't I, that's got to be 10,000. Um, and then I put $10. I I got that wrong. Luke Rockhold only got $4,000. Somehow Brian Schwartz earned $28,000 with no win bonus. We've talked about him in his previous fight that he had for Strike Force, where he was obviously, again, a very big local star and was expected to draw a lot of local fans. And, and you know, maybe he did, but regardless, he got more money than a lot of other guys that were higher on the card than him. Uh, but uh, just to kind of recap, I, I should mention technically the Smith Martin fight was the main event, but since Bob Lou Southworth was for the title and was promoted as the main event, initially we covered it as if it went on last. Uh, overall, it had some highlight moments. The Hands of Steel KO obviously really stands out, but Destruction definitely wasn't one of the most memorable Strike Force events. In particular, you know, the Bob Lou Southworth bout was very exciting and then ends rather unceremoniously. While Ludwig Edwards was expected to be a barn burner, but again was a styles clash that just really failed to deliver. So just, you know, a, a, an uneven show, decent show, got some new faces mixed in, you know, more exciting than some of the previous Strike Force events, but but not one that's going to stand the test of time as far as, as excitement or being particularly memorable. But Josh, what did you think? 
I felt like Scott Smith made the show with his knockout and his personality and charisma. That was the thing that I was going to take away from this show was, wow, what an amazing right hand and what a fun guy, you know, in the post fight. So um, I, I like that. You know, he's quirky. He's got those facial expressions as well that make him sort of memorable. It was also the debut of Luke Rockhold. So I think, you know, obviously in the moment, you don't know what Luke Rockhold is going to become. But you do know when you watch that, like, that's a guy to watch. There's something up with him. He's probably going to do okay in this sport. So I think between both of those, um, that's what's memorable about about this card. The debut of Rockhold. Well, um, I sh it's not the debut, as you corrected me, but it was his, his debut in a non-challenger show. And then Scott Smith just having uh, this incredible moment. Um you know, there was a couple of uh, boring fights, you know, that we talked about. But, you know, the, even Kim Couture was something that I'm sure people were talking about when they left was, you know, the, the, the women's fight. Even Jimmy Lennon Jr. called it a special attraction. So right now there's so much women's MMA, you know, it's just part of the sport thanks to Ronda Rousey. But it's really at this time you're just like. Whoa, there's women fighters. That was so rare. So um, that's I think those are the big the big takeaways from this show. Yeah, for sure. I think that's fair. Uh, but coming up next, as we mentioned, Babalu will be on the show. You won't want to miss that. We'll also have Bang Ludwig on very very soon. Uh, after that, Strikeforce takes a near five month hiatus between events, returning for Shamrock versus Diaz. In April of 2009, this would be Frank Shamrock's last fight ever, and the event would feature the Strike Force debuts of both Chris Cyborg and Brett Rogers. In addition, we'd see an interim lightweight title fight as Josh Thompson breaks his leg training for a rematch with Gilbert Melendez. Very intriguing card, and I think I, I think you could almost mark that as the beginning of like the big, big name events because with Elite XC folding and Coker and Strike Force absorbing a bunch of those contracts, we start seeing guys like Jake Shields and Robbie Lawler come in. And so that you start seeing bigger and bigger fights. And, and so I, I it's going to get, the show's going to, our show's going to get more exciting as Strike Force gets more exciting as well. So a lot of stuff to, to cover in the, the coming weeks. And, and so make sure that you stay tuned for those. Make sure that you're following us on social media. You can find us at the Hexagon Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can reach me at Phil at InsideTheHexagon.com. We'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback on the show. Uh, would also love to hear who you'd like to hear on the show, who you'd like to hear uh, interviewed on the show. That would be great. You know, would also be great would be if you would rate and review the show if you haven't already, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. But with that, Josh, I appreciate your time. We're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And we will see you soon. should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.